Welcome back to Unredacted. I'm Philippe Arnes, and along with my co-hosts Emily Brandwin and Molly Jong Fast, interviewed Hillary Clinton for over an hour in her house in Washington. The interview was so good and so long, we didn't want to cut any of it, so we just split it in half. Here is the second part of our interview with Hillary. Um, enjoy. Do I still have to redact it, even though you guys are on the record? It's called TSSCI. I think I'm a little nicer in real life than I am on Twitter. It's not hard. Like mileage accounts. talking about de Blasio, so it made me just think about all the candidates, and I'm just kind of curious, who was the last person who came and to ask you and talk to you and get advice from? And You don't have to tell us who, but you can sort of hint at yes, well, or anything I, you want. I have, I have met with uh, more than half, wow. <laughs> oh, wow. more than half of, of the candidates. I have another meeting on the schedule for next week when I'm back in New York. Um, and it's been fascinating because um, I know most of them, uh, not all of them, and uh, I had fascinating conversations with each of them, answered their questions, uh, whatever they uh, wanted to talk about. And I've told each of them um, something I really believe, which is that you could run the best campaign, you could get the nomination, and you could lose because of factors outside your control, like voter suppression, like hacking and weaponization of information, like um, propaganda on social media, like interference with the actual machinery of the election. Uh, because I believe we should win, and honestly am praying every day we do win because I think the future of the republic is at stake, uh, but I worry that we have not adequately addressed these real uh, threats to uh, the integrity of our elections. And I'm 100% behind the work Stacey Abrams is doing in Georgia, that Andrew Gillum is doing in Florida, and others who I'm supporting through uh, the group I started called Onward Together, because if we don't do a better job at registering and we don't do a better job at fighting suppression and we don't do a better job of responding to and you know pushing back the hacking and the weaponization, and if we can't figure out how to protect the integrity of the vote, there's just too many variables. And it's not only the Russians, um, the director of national intelligence, uh, Dan Coates, the director of the FBI, uh, Christopher Wray, have recently said the Russians are in our election system. They're not doing a retrospective, they're doing a current assessment. Uh, and I believe that, and we're finding out bits and pieces, not in my opinion, to try to relitigate the past, but to get us on notice to figure out what we're going to do to protect us going forward. Why do you think that nobody has, why hasn't Lindsey Graham, why hasn't any of these people stood up and said, this is ridiculous, the Russians have interfered and we're not doing anything. Having worked in the intelligence community, nobody gets along. We all fight like brothers and sisters. You'll never get us all to say, yes, this definitely happened. This is the first time I've ever seen the entire intelligence community say, the Russians hacked our election, they are a danger, they are a menace, and they're gonna do it again. And we have an administration who who just willfully ignores it. Right. Why hasn't anybody stood up? Well, I think for a couple of reasons, Emily. Um, first of all, Trump, is just adamant that there be no talk 
about mm. what the Russians actually did, because of course it does, rightly so, uh, raise questions about the legitimacy of his uh, administration. So he is more than willing to berate and threaten anybody on the Republican side. So. The Republicans who are left um, in the Senate, particularly right now, um, are intimidated. Uh, they are worried about their own primaries, that they're going mm -hmm. to get a, a Trump backer uh, who will appeal more to their base than they do. Uh, and it, it does strike me, and I've certainly concluded that many of my former colleagues in the Senate are absolutely aware of what has happened. They know it, and it will be a very dark cloud on their history and their legacy of public service uh, because they have folded under pressure uh, from Trump and his allies in the party and who support uh, candidates. And they are basically uh, allowing themselves to be marginalized. History will not be kind to them. And it should not be kind right. to them. And, and you know, people on the Intelligence Committee in the Senate have tried uh, to stay bipartisan. I give both the chair and the ranking member credit for that. They know a lot about what's been going on. But even what we all know in public is terrifying enough. And, I, you know, I, I know Dan Coates. He's a really mild-mannered guy and he's been trying to sound the alarm and getting all kinds of blowback from Trump and others around uh, Trump. And I don't know what they, I, I don't think they know what to do. But the bottom line for me is neither inside our government nor outside, particularly in the tech companies, has enough right. serious attention been paid as to how we pr protect the next election. Do you worry about them coming after you? Because they choose you as a scapegoat. All the time. For so much. I, I think that's always in their toolbox. Mm -hmm. um, they know they can get, you know, their base, which is somewhere between 30, 35% of the electorate, which is a lot of people when yeah. you add it all up. They can get them all riled up and they can get them yelling at rallies and all the stuff they do. So if they think it's in their interests, if they worry about their own electoral prospects, they'll trot me back out. Look, they took me from um, about a 67% approval rating when I got out of the State Department, uh, down, down, down through their uh, attention on Benghazi, which was a terrible tragedy, but for which I you know, took responsibility and did everything I could and more than many in my position had ever done before. And it was investigated endlessly, but they created a special committee and right. Kevin McCarthy basically said, hey, we've brought her numbers down. And then email, which I wrote about in my book, I didn't violate any law, I didn't violate any regulation. Uh, they had to conclude finally there was no classified information. Uh, it was... It was all a, um, you know, an effort to just, you know, to damage me. And they were successful. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, people who should have known better played a role in uh, propagating uh, that attack on me. So I imagine that if they uh, believe it would be helpful, they'll trot something out. I don't know, <laughs> I don't know what it would be, but yeah, I, I think that's all within the realm of the possible.
And now you see Betsy DeVos has, what, five of her own private Ivanka. emails? Ivanka. Well, Jared's doing you know, foreign policy on his WhatsApp. WhatsApp. Well, and the difference is that when I was at the State Department, we were not under White House rules. In the White House, that was uh, violating rules even before this administration. In the State Department, I mean, John Kerry used a private email until the rules were changed right, about exactly. a year into his tenure. You follow the rules you have. Maybe you think they shouldn't be the rules, but you follow yeah. the rules you have. And so for this administration, uh, which we know, you know, just obviously traffics and hypocrisy, they have been violating the rules on a continuing basis, and they don't care because they have the Senate to protect them. They're never going to pay any price. And now increasingly, and most frighteningly, they are packing the courts to right. get yep. loyalists, uh, ideologues in positions to protect them if they need uh, the protection from uh, judicial action. Did any of the senators you were friends with who you've known, who, and obviously don't tell us who, but just like come to you and been like this? Well, mostly on the Democratic side. Right. Uh, and they are as shocked and dumbfounded almost equally with how totally cynical and manipulative McConnell has been mm -hmm. um, as what they are seeing out of the White House. It's a kind of a close contest. Who is more uh, violating of the norms uh, of the Senate on the one hand uh, of you know White House behavior on the other? So I haven't um, had long conversations with former Republican colleagues, but I have seen, I have seen people currently serving and who served before at the time that I served in both the Senate and the House, and they all know better. Even, even <laughs> you know, the, 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 the Republicans know better. And, you know, a lot of them, um, a lot of them went along with what I viewed as really bad policy, like, for example, when they did a, uh, when we had a a good immigration uh, bill that we passed in the Senate that Bush said he would sign, and uh, Boehner was speaker, and he <laughs> wouldn't bring it up because he couldn't get a majority of uh, Republicans, but it would have passed. You know, that's really disappointing and uh, regrettable, but that's kind of within the bounds of politics on the fringes anyway. Right. But what we see now is a concerted effort to manipulate and undermine the norms of the Congress and uh, to protect the president at all costs, which is not within the norm, yeah. I was just thinking when we were talking about some of the candidates that you've met with, I was curious, um, have some of the women asked different questions than the male candidates just because of what they've seen you go through and what we're seeing now. And I was curious if they have or if it's been fairly consistent. No, they have because uh, there's just so much to talk about. I mean, all of the uh, phony uh, calculations of likability doesn't affect the male candidates. I hate that. And the women running, the ones I know, uh, the four that I know, um, have been elected statewide. They have mm -hmm. had successful political careers. They are being put on some phony likability scale that the men are not put on. And mm -hmm. honestly, it's just bizarre. Um, 
you know, they commiserate uh, with the coverage they get on what they're wearing, uh, <laughs> you know, how they look in photographs, <laughs> I mean, their hair. I mean, it's just, it, it's just a little depressing that it is still so prevalent. The good news, however, is that more people are calling it out. Yeah. It, it is not being accepted as, well, that's just the way politics is, and that's what you should be expecting if you're going to get into the uh, political arena. So I take some comfort in that. <laughs> but, you know, in my book, and I have said repeatedly out on the, um, out on the media circuit and the speeches that I give, when I got out of um, the election and, you know, began to write my book and look around, and I saw what happened to Elizabeth Warren on the floor yeah. of the Senate. I was there for eight years. I never saw anybody ordered off the floor of the Senate mm -hmm. the way McConnell ordered her. When I saw Kamala Harris doing her job, which was questioning uh, uh, Jeff Sessions mm -hmm. and being told to stop by the chair of the committee, when I saw Amy Klobuchar raise the whole issue of drinking uh, with Kavanaugh and having him uh, insult her, yeah. uh, which he never did to any of the mm -hmm. male Democrats. I mean, this is what we're up against. And the Republicans, unfortunately, feel they pay no price for it. I mean, really, you have to ask yourself, they get away with uh, demeaning women, uh, treating women colleagues different than male mm -hmm. colleagues, of taking away uh, women's rights under the Constitution, uh, you have to say, okay, it's both because of who they are, but it's also because they think it helps them politically. Mm. Is the government going to be the last institution to really catch up to to where we should be? We're seeing businesses doing yeah. better, obviously, right. but we our public example is this: is them calling out, you know, our female senators for doing their mm -hmm. job. Yeah. Well, I think actually the government itself has made a lot of progress, but politics and the way that politics operates and who gets rewarded um, is still a very tough environment for women. And it's only going to yield if people keep knocking down the wall because it is uh, a an obstacle to women's uh, progress. And I'm always surprised at what people get away with and what they say. I mean, even in the most conservative of states, the most red of states, some of the things that were said during the debates on abortion in those states about, quote, consensual rape, <laughs> by definition, my an oxymoron, right. and other things that were said, and the and the laws that were passed giving uh, potential prison sentences of up to 99 years or the death penalty yeah. as compared to rapists who can get away. I, I was just, I, st I was stunned. I was thinking, who believes this and who votes for people who believe that? We're giving rapists more rights than the women who've been raped. Absolutely. And it's boggling me that it's all men who are deciding the fate of women and the only women, only people who are going to be, who are going to suffer and who are going to die are women designed by rules by men. And predominantly poor and minority right. women. That's the way it has been. That's the way it was before Roe v. Wade. That is what will happen again because 
you know, just imagine the scenarios. You know, some state senator's daughter right. yeah. gets pregnant and wants an abortion. You know, that girl's going to get on a plane and go to New York. That's right. Yep. And I, I don't think that uh, that will be an option for the vast majority of, uh, you know, women in Georgia who, um, for whatever reason, are uh, seeking uh, that. What, what would you say to women who are running? What is your, can you just give us a little bit of what you would say, I mean, to men, but to women, yeah. or what has you, what have you thought, like, when you were talking to people, like, wow, this is something I really wish I had thought more about when I... You know, I am both uh, concerned but also fundamentally optimistic. I thought the campaigns in 2018 were terrific, yeah. and the number of women who ran uh, vigorous, successful campaigns, particularly in districts that went from uh, Republican to Democrat, mm -hmm. because if you were running in a Democratic district, uh, you were more likely going to win anyway, but mm -hmm. to flip a district... And I looked at a lot of those campaigns, and every campaign was different and was unique, but the commonality among the women was that they really got out there. They made their case. They were relentless in uh, presenting themselves, and they didn't take any guff from anybody. They stood up for themselves. They had policies that they were interested in pursuing. So I was really proud. And you know, when I um, looked back in 2016, I won uh, 24 congressional districts that a Republican also won at the same time. Mm -hmm. And in 2018, we took primarily with women, not exclusively, but primarily with women, all 24 of those districts. And they were in California, and they were in Texas, mm -hmm. and they were in New Jersey, and they were in Illinois. And it was so great because you know, they built on the energy that came out of that loss and out of the Women's March and out of the resistance movement uh, to basically say, we're going to get out there, we're going to make our case, and we believe there are more people who will vote for the kind of Congress member I intend to be than my opponent. And it worked. And you were involved. Well, the way we met was that you did a fundraiser for five. Arena, for, that's right. Right, Arena. Right. Well, you know, when I, when I got out and I, you know, I... I <clears throat> was stunned by the outcome uh, of the uh, race, but I was very encouraged by the reaction to Trump's win and all the ways that we know. But I also wanted to figure out how to help groups and individuals who were gonna be actively engaged in winning races, uh, because if we don't win, we don't change what's going on. So I started this group called Onward Together, and we uh, have 13 partner organizations, as well as groups that we fund and candidates that we funded, and we're getting geared up for this next cycle. And it was thrilling to me because, as you mentioned, the arena, which started immediately after the election right. and had uh, just the greatest idea of training people to be in campaigns, of supporting candidates. And you and I were together in event, at an event that was splitting the money among uh, arena-endorsed candidates. And, all women. And they were all women, and they were all different. Mm -hmm. They presented themselves differently. They talked about different issues. I was thrilled. But each of the groups that we're supporting through Onward Together are like that. So yeah. some of them focus on African-American or Latino 
or women candidates. Some of them focus on local and state races, not just uh, federal races. Uh, some of them are you know, older by meaning like 15 years old, and some <laughs> literally started uh, right after the 2016 election. But what they all have in common is their energy and their commitment and their mission. They're not trying to be everything to everybody. They're trying to fulfill their mission uh, in getting people elected who then can be part of the change that we all want to see. So I couldn't be uh, prouder of all these groups, and I'm going to do everything I can to keep helping them. That's great. I would not be true to myself if I didn't <laughs> ask you this question. That is the most important question I could ask. What I love. We have, we have true, to let her ask. True, I'm going to let you go. I just have to tell you. I love how big of a theater fan you are. Yes. It literally fills my heart with joy. Uh, you've seen Hamilton twice. You quoted Hamilton in your DNC speech, and I literally cried and started like <laughs> applauding. Okay, so I, questions. Have you seen anything recently that you loved? And the play Hillary and Clinton, what do you think about this? Yeah, Is this bizarre <laughs> to see this? And she might win a Tony for playing you. She's a great actress. She's amazing. She is a fabulous actress. She better think And I saw her in Three Tall Women, and she was, she, well, she and Glenda Jackson were just like astonishing, yeah. right? And you saw her, Glenda Jackson, in, in Lear. I did. I saw Glenda Jackson in Lear, and I've gotten to know her through uh, her daughter-in-law, uh, who's become a, a friend of mine. I love the theater, and I, I felt theater deprived um, because during the campaign, I, other than going to Hamilton and they were nice enough to do a, a fundraiser for me and everything, I didn't get to see a lot of theater. I've seen a lot of good stuff. I've seen both good productions, both plays and musicals, and I've seen some great acting. And so, you know, in no particular order, I loved what the Constitution means to me. I saw it off-Broadway before it got to Broadway because a friend of mine saw it and said, you've got to see this. And Heidi Schreck was just amazing. I loved The Ferryman. I thought that was one of the most powerful ensemble uh, acting that I had ever seen and the and the play itself was particularly meaningful to me because of the work I had done on the Irish peace process I had a lot of fun with ain't we proud and share uh, because I just love both share and uh, the music of ain't we proud is of my uh, my vintage um, I you know I saw King Lear because I love Glenda Jackson it was a bit of a mishmash they did the gender reversal. They did the gender reversal, but they also had a stage that was so packed with, with, with furniture and a string quartet and actors coming and going that it had a little bit of uh, like overkill. Okay. But I still am glad I saw it because I would see her in anything. Um, and the 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 choice as to how to present it was really of interest to me. I could go on and on. But going to the theater is one of my great joys. Can I ask one last question and then I promise we'll leave because I know they're getting up and walking around. Um, I'm obsessed with taking the Senate back. Yes. Can we talk about that for a minute? Well, you should be and we all should be. Yeah. And we need to get some candidates. Um, Can you talk to Susan Rice? <laughs> well, I think there will be a good candidate 
uh, in Maine, from what I hear. Okay. But right now, we, you know, we we've lost really powerful candidates that could have run in Georgia, in Texas, in Montana, in Colorado. (laughs) I mean, I can't fault anybody for wanting to run for president, but people have to stop and ask themselves, okay, we win the White House in 2020, but we still don't own the Senate, and we still are up against the Machiavellian McConnell how do we get anything done uh, for the country and reverse the damage that right. uh, has occurred? So I, I just wish that we could persuade uh, a few people to reconsider um, and recruit some others. I mean, I, I talked to uh, Stacy about the tough decision she faced because she was being lobbied hard to run for the Senate. And, you know, she just in the end decided it wasn't for her. I totally respect that. But we've got to get some good candidates because it will be hard. I don't want to sugarcoat it. It's going to be hard, and uh, we've got to we've got to win. Do you want to hear my crazy idea? Yes, I love crazy so ideas. So this is a crazy idea, but it, I think it's brilliant because I <laughs> came up with it. Um, George Clooney should run for Mitch McConnell's Senate seat. That's a wonderful idea. There's not a chance in whatever <laughs> that he would do that. I mean, and besides, I think Amal would. <laughs> probably, you know, kill him with the twins and everything going on in their lives. But he'd be great. Because it would throw McConnell so off his game, too. Well, Amy McGrath is a great candidate. Great. It's just that McConnell is so wired in that state. I and I don't know why, because I can't, I can't figure out why he keeps being reelected, because he, he votes against and blocks progress that would help the majority of Kentuckians. But, you know, that's... That's what we're gonna have to figure out. I was yeah. so impressed with McGrath. I thought she was great. She's terrific. She, she was she wonderful. Is terrific. Yeah. yeah, she's great. The bottom part. Oh, <laughs> they're now Felipe. <laughs> oh my gosh, Felipe has come back. <laughs> okay, we've and been Jane, having so much fun, and then he comes back. By Tell the way, him. he's never seen Hamilton. I'll just shame him while he's here. How have you except, never seen Hamilton? Except <laughs> Emily Nick bought is... me uh, Hamilton the audio CDs. And How I do listen you play to them. It? How do I listen to them? You listen to them in the toilet. No, but hold on. That sounds gross. Yeah, okay, you it plugged it into your toilet. I have, <laughs> I have Japanese toilets that are very automated, and they have Bluetooth, <laughs> and they have an SD card. Let the record show that everyone is rolling their eyes right now. Literally. <laughs> I, it was, Emily, was, Emily we came from my home today, and Emily had to go to the bathroom. She said, which bathroom can I listen to Hamilton in? Literally. Aww. Well, also, I felt like, as your friend, it is my duty to give you your theater education. I'm starting you with the Bible. I think that is a real... Very, a, a very hostile statement about your friendship and your gift. I mean, yeah, there, you don't there are lots of my... ways and places he could. He does not Thank want you. to be educated. That no, is one of the problems in, in having a re- relationship you. with him. You know, he, he, he kind of knows what he knows and what he knows is right. It, it's, it's really quite distressing. But you say that not seeing my bathroom you're right and i never because, will it's smart because you have refused to come to my home and including I, I this will, week when you continue. were 40 feet below it yes really i will like continue and they've met my cats i know but yeah. i have told you a million times <laughs> i'm allergic woman, to cats yeah there's another woman claiming they're allergic to cats it's amazing how you never meet a man well I'm, I'm not going to let him test me because I know what the reaction is. You never meet a man allergic to cats. And just some of the specifics and the details. Like, I was curious about, like, how the sausage gets made. Did somebody call you? And how does all that happen? The details and the mechanics oh, of all of that. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, people uh, 
call my office and say they want to meet with me or if if, if in uh, one case um, I didn't I didn't have time for a number of days so the person asked for a phone call before uh, the announcement was made and they'll meet with me either in Washington or in New York and uh, and most of the meetings last at least an hour. Some have gone as long as two and a half hours. Are you ever surprised by some of the questions that they ask you? I'm surprised a little bit by some of the um, uh, lack of awareness of what they're up against. <laughs> because when I say, for example, uh, I hope you've invested in cybersecurity, and they say, we, we know we should, we don't have the funding yet. <laughs> Or when I say, you know, um, do you, are, are you really focused on the, the calendar? Because the calendar is so different. Yeah, we're really getting ready to deal with that. I mean, so it's so overwhelming to decide to run for president. Everybody prioritizes. And it doesn't surprise me at all that, you know, some things are lower down on the list than I would think they should be. But, you know, people will get to it. And I don't know how many will last all the way to Iowa, and certainly after Iowa, New Hampshire, South Carolina, Nevada, the field will be very thinned. Do you tell them if they're if they say, "Hey, I'm going to get to cybersecurity," do you tell them you might want to do it yesterday? I do, I do, Emily, because, but I, but I, I worry that it's probably too late by the time they come to see me. I would bet that the leading candidates have already been hacked. Wow. This is the biggest crisis. Both their, both their campaign accounts and if they're in public office and they're enough of a high-profile candidate, their Senate office or their congressional office or their governor's really? office. Yeah. That's absolutely. a big statement. Uh, well, I, that's what I believe. Yeah. And I, I think there's reason that that's probably accurate. And how sad that our administration hasn't done anything to protect our Senate. They don't care. They don't care. They don't care. Well, also remember, back in 2015, 2016, the Republican National Committee was hacked by the Russians, but nothing was ever released. It's odd, so, isn't it? Well, it's not at all odd, <laughs> and that's why neither the administration or Republicans uh, running are going to take on this issue, because they wrongly believe it's going to continue to benefit them. Right. Until it doesn't. And that's, sec and that's you know, the, the primary concern and worry about the country is secondary, and that's just heartbreaking to me. It's amazing. Thank you thank so you. much. Oh, I mean, this you. was such an honor. Really, and thank you, you know, Lauren Underwood, youngest African-American congresswoman. Wasn't she great that, af that afternoon oh, we were together? So, and she's, she won, and that was, everyone kept saying to me, don't get your hopes up, it's an art. But you know, it's interesting because I, I had followed her race because she was running in a district near where I grew up in Illinois, and people said, God. And I had all these friends, literally from high school, because I've stayed in touch with, we have a circle of good friends we've stayed in touch with, and so I started hearing, like, one of my friends said, I'm having a fundraiser for her. And others said, I went to an event she gave. She's fabulous. So I was hearing from on the ground how impressive she was. And I think she's done a terrific job in focusing on health care. She said she would, yeah. and she has. And uh, she's introduced uh, some good legislation about the Affordable Care Act and improving health care. So I'm, I'm a big fan. You know, I met her right after, because I was involved in Arena. The day you lost, I cried every day for a week. Uh -huh. I was like, I mean, I'm sure you. Yeah. But, um, and then I found Ravi, and I was like, I need to give you all my money. Yeah. I was like, tell me what I can do to I was like, and I told my husband, his venture capitalist, I said, we're going to Tennessee to meet this Ravi uh -huh. and to go do his thing. It was like a week after the election, and we just went and like wept. 
but I met Lauren there. Uh-huh. And I was like, you're a nurse yeah. and you worked in the Obama administration. I was like, why are you not running? Yeah. And we just kept nagging her. Good for you. I mean, no, you, cha- I mean, oh, your defeat she- really changed my life because I was like a normal election <laughs> Democrat. No, it did. It changed so many lives. I mean, I, I end every email to my nieces, all three of them with run to run for the white house. Yeah. And to the point that they said, we get it. Aunt yeah, Emily, that, we get you. it. You can take it down a notch, but it, yeah, it changed so many lives. Well, now of our we lives. have to translate all that, you know, feeling into work to win in uh, oh not only this yeah. year in some states, but also, you know, next year in the country. So yeah. thank you guys. Thank, thank you. you so much. Thank and you. it was unredacted. Thank you for listening to Unredacted from the DSR Network's interview with Hillary Clinton. And we look forward to our next episode.